you. Happy Thanksgiving, Dave. Thank you so much, and also how, with you. How was your Thanksgiving, even though we're recording oh, this before? We are recording this before. Um, but I can already tell you how it was. It was distanced. It was outside. It was a potluck. It was in a, a friend's backyard. Tables for two scattered uh, throughout in a, in a big circle, um, like some sort of support group meeting. Um, yeah. I made uh, St. Louis Delicacy toasted ravioli. And, uh, Whoa, so, and, and what is that? Well, I'll tell you. It's um, it's why life expectancies in St. Louis are significantly lower than in the rest of the country. It's a uh, it's a delicacy that that started on the hill, which is like the Italian neighborhood, um, and then it spread throughout the city. And now it's like your Chinese restaurant has it, your you know pizza place has it. The you have it on Wednesday in your school cafeteria. It is ravioli, as we have come to know and love, the pillowy pasta with uh, with a meat or cheese filling, which is then breaded. And deep fried and turned into a finger food, oh, uh, which you then dip in a marinara sauce. It is carb on carb on carb. It is terrible. Heaven. And it's absolutely delicious. And it's the kind of thing that because it is so objectively disgusting, it has not taken off anywhere else in the world. It's not like the Philly cheesesteak or the Chicago deep dish pizza that you can get anywhere else. It happens in St. Louis and only in St. Louis, unless you're me. Or it happens in Dave's backyard. Or it happens in my kitchen, which smells like a like a, a diner kitchen for a <laughs> week after. Um, yeah, I, I get some fresh pasta. I, I do an egg wash. I bread. I deep fry in a wok. And my friends rejoice. God. Yeah. Delicious. How was yours? Oh God! Uh, well, very similar. Without uh -huh. the um, the St. Louis ravioli special, yeah, uh, look, a, a Whole Foods pickup dinner mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. that w we didn't even were such pieces of shit. We didn't even go pick it up ourselves. Task oh. Rabbit did that. Wow. Um, but Michael, <laughs> no, I mean Michael cooks all the time and is a, a beautiful cook. But he'll be the one. He was the one heating the things and serving the things. Our friend Vera uh, will have been over for a distant backyard hang. And it'll be real, real bleak. First Thanksgiving without Faye. Some tears. Yeah. Oh, God, Too much red so wine. A night that yeah, just no sleep after all that red wine. Oh, um, no. And you know, a couple episodes of The Crown and then just fevered dreams about Princess Di. And uh, here we are. And there you are. Did you like Thanksgiving as a child? Is it a beloved holiday for you? You know, not really. I've, I've yeah. liked it a lot more as an adult when it is uh, when it's celebrated with friends. friends. Yeah. Yeah. You? I'm a little bit, yeah, kind of the same. I found it to be um, the most gendered of the holidays. Because really? it's, it's, yeah, because it's just about the food, or at least in my like extended family growing up. It's just about the food that the women have made and the men eat it and then watch uh, football, which I don't care about. And the women go and do the dishes. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I kind of, okay, put me in the, let me do some dishes. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know. I never, I enjoy being around my family, but that, that's a, that is a high, it's a lot of work. A lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I too. Is. Yeah, like after I moved away, I kind of just never. Also, I hate traveling at Thanksgiving. I hate it. I just hate it. Oh, it's God. the worst. So it has been Friendsgivings or drives up to Napa for a long, long time now. Yeah, this year normally LA Thanksgivings are the best. Yes, it's 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 so quiet. The weather's so perfect. Um, Everyone's gone. This year not so much. This year not so much at all. Oh well. Um, so good week. Otherwise, a good week. Otherwise, oh God, right before we started, I was reading your BTS, uh, interview for oh, yeah? Esquire. Awesome. Tell me everything. I mean, I know you're under okay. embargo in a big way. Well, uh, well, no, I mean, it's just, you know, um, I, yeah. So I, I got, um, this was something that was like top secret for weeks. Like I got the assignment and then it was like, you can't tell anyone. And I was like, Oh, too late. Cause I already told like eight people. Um, but I swore them to, to secrecy. Um, we, um, I talked to them over zoom, like in the middle of the night for me, but like kind of morning for them. Um, and they were, you know, they, they are at, they were at the time, the first time that we spoke, uh, getting ready for this big live stream concert map of the soul one, um, which was beautiful. Um, and like, and mind bending and, and, and like, and, and 
like the the choreography is more on point than I've ever seen from anyone. Um, it was truly incredible, and they were they were you could tell they were they were worn out the first time that we spoke, but they were still incredibly mm. charming and engaging, and and um and I just I find them really interesting, and I and I wanted to I wanted to write the first piece about them that didn't say the words K-pop or boy band. Cause I feel like right. it's, they have transcended that now they're like, they're a straight up phenomenon and they're interesting without delving into that world, which is fascinating, but it's, that story has been written. Um, it, it was, it was a real pleasure to work on and the uh, outpouring of love from BTS army has been unreal. It's been. I can truly, only imagine. I mean, my mentions for days have been a, a river of purple hearts, purple being the color of love and trust among the the BTS army, uh, and um, it truly has just. It's been. It's been overwhelming. We're all super excited about it, and the photographs are unreal. The they are the 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 clothing is beautiful. They they model better than models. Like models are shaking. Because BTS is on the scene, um, it's it, uh, it all came together really beautifully, and I'm I'm so happy. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm so happy for you. It's a big, it's a huge deal. They are. I love in the article you compare. Everybody should read it. By the way, it's it's such a great read. And if you Thanks. are not that familiar with BTS, if you somehow have uh, no familiarity with them, it's it's um, a great way to sort of get grounded in what they are, which is yeah. a a universe and industry all its own like you compared it to um somebody saying like what's this marvel thing all about it's it's like right. it, it's so much to wrap your mind around oh yeah yeah it is i mean there's there's a lot of content there's an awful lot of content and context you know it, yeah. it, but but you can also take it in right now as they as they invade america b it's a great album i gotta say i went on a little sunset bike ride in griffith park listening to it last night Magnifique. Really I could is. say who my bias is, but I'm not going to. I'm going to keep that information to myself. Oh, what a gent. Ah, oh, well, you know. Um, speaking of things we love. Yep. Yuki Ellis. We yes, one of our most devoted listeners, one of our most active uh, responders on social media. Yuki, we yeah. love you. Yes. Uh, she wants to know, tell us, like, the secret to getting along with your boyfriend. Heart, 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 heart. Heart, four hearts. Matthew? Secret is, we don't have, uh, you know, the biggest fight that we have had in the pandemic was when I proposed rearranging two rooms, swapping mm -hmm. the, well, this would be so boring if I even go to the story. It doesn't even matter. Um but uh you know we get out of it pretty quickly like i i, I don't know I, I i don't think that we are like ever hiding our feelings but we manage to 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 never fight to not to, to very rarely have the the need to fight and when we do with yeah. this i don't know this is not a great answer what, what yeah yeah I'm, we're a little bit the same way we're not like huge fighters we've gotten into a couple couple good ones but um but i i i do think um, as with, uh, a lot of long term hetero and queer couples having, um, having your own space is really important. We both work from home. So, um, and we used to both work from the one house and that was, that was rough. Um, so we sort of had to colonize some out outside space, uh, which has now become Ben's studio. And so we're, we're on the grounds at all the time but we're not on top of each other all the time. Like personal space is really important. I know, I know yeah. couples who have separate bedrooms and really make that work. And I think that that's super healthy. Mm. I, I, well, that just reminds me of Princess Di and Charles and their separate bedrooms. Oh, it was well, not healthy for that them. Didn't, that didn't work out, but I think that they had some external pressures on them too. Yeah. I don't know though, because I have not yet gotten into season four of The Crown. That is what this weekend is all about. Sweatpants and Lady Diana. Oh, so good. <laughs> And we got a review. We got a oh, great review did. from Cosmo Girl Pink. Uh, she says, great hosts and great conversations. Five stars. 
Yeah, she says, every episode has been the perfect co convergence of pop culture, humor, and a conversation about life and relationships. Holmes and McConkie strike a great balance of not taking themselves too seriously, but also not judging each of their guests and being open to sharing their own stories along with their guests. Every episode feels honest, open, fun, and inviting. Cosmo Girl Pink, Aww. thank you so much. Next and, time I uh, see you, if I ever see you, if I know you, if we meet, if we meet again, Cosmo's on me. That's right. How about that? How do you like you that? You know who else I'd like to, to have Cosmo's 1999's with? hot drink. Yes. That's right. Tell me. Uh, Rakesh Satyal. I love This him. week's guest. Um, I, love I love him. I love him. I love him. We had so much fun talking to him. Um, kind of a perfect Thanksgiving treat, I think. Yeah. For everybody. Yeah, I love him. He's he is uh, the author of books like Blue Boy, uh, which is really re uh, queer required reading and uh, no one can pronounce my name. And uh, he's a great follow on Twitter if you're not already doing that. Yes. Um, he's a joy. And he is our Thanksgiving guest on Homophilia. We are back with Rakesh Satyal. Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, uh, I mean, I've never been better. <laughs> yeah, everybody's great, right? <laughs> Dave is thriving. Dave it's actually loves the thriving. pandemic. It's a, it's a really weird uh, thing. We'll get it's, into that another time. Yeah, it's my favorite <laughs> time in human history. I think it's terrific. Um, and if there could be a, a coup to overthrow the American government at the same time, all the better. Cherry ah. on top. Yes, Cherry yes. on top. <laughs> we are we are speaking on the afternoon of the Rudy Giuliani press conference where his head melted off. Correct. And yeah. um, I have to say, I am personally offended at his invoking my cousin Vinny because I love my cousin Vinny and keep my cousin Vinny out of your mouth, Giuliani. Right. Yes. I mean, dare you? I know. That's How right. dare you? It was uh, it was a wild one. It was a real it was a real thrill ride. We got uh, Hugo Chavez in the, in that press conference. It's like they really are trying to do demonic. We didn't start the fire. Like it's every time yes. they get up there, it's just <laughs> a random roster of people. And by the way, I want to note: I didn't realize this for a long time. Three of my favorite comedies of all time are directed by the same person, Jonathan Lynn. Um, so Clue, My Cousin Vinny, and the very underrated Whole Nine Yards were all directed by Jonathan Lynn. Oh, wow. Um, he was a theater director, which I think they all have this kind of farcical element to them. But that is what it feels like. It feels like farce. It feels like you're yeah. watching a parody, except it's not parody because it's all too real and it's our government. Yeah. So, it's super real and it might work. It <laughs> might is, work. It might is, work. There's as non-zero chance that it'll work. <laughs> it's fucking wild. Um, but you were coming to us from Greenpoint. Yes. What is the overall feel in Greenpoint? You know, okay, so I think this has happened to a lot of people. You know, when the, when the, we first went into lockdown, or many of us went into lockdown taking it seriously, I was recluse, basically. Like, I, I really stayed in. You know, my husband sort of went and foraged in the world as necessary, and I was just, because I have asthma. So, like, I, I was very paranoid about being out in the world having asthma. And um, I now feel like my fear at that time has met the moment, and the pitch of my fear then now is where we are. Like, like I might have been overreacting at that point, then probably not, but now I'm not overreacting. I'm just reacting. And so in our neighborhood, I think a lot of people, because it's getting cold here, like colder than places on the West Coast, for example, we, um, people are really starting to realize like, this is it. Like we're hunkering down, we're gonna have to hibernate. And I think it hasn't been particularly heartening to see the outdoor dining and the cold weather that's happening at first you're kind of like oh great heat lamps but now they're creating these like pod like things that are really not safe if you're not sitting with people with whom you've been quarantined so i think that reality is really hitting people and they're just kind of realizing like it is going now we're really inside and like you can't really have summer to look forward to you have winter to look forward to for the next yeah. um, bit so but, you know, there is still New York has this obviously its usual sense of camaraderie. And obviously the day that Saturday when Biden ostensibly won was probably the most um, kind of communally joyful day I've seen in, you know, the better part of 20 years of being in New York. So um, 
but yeah, it's it's tough. That's a long-winded answer, but it's 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 going to be a challenge. For, I, I, thankfully, we have the holidays right now, but um, January, I'm, I feel like we're going to try to get away somewhere for January and not stay in the city, maybe be upstate or something. Yeah. Get yourself somewhere warm. You're yes. welcome out here. Thank you. Thank you. We'll, we'll do the Griswold family uh, road trip uh, to come <laughs> see you. <laughs> Why not? So w- when you're not watching uh, demonic, uh, we didn't start the fire press conferences. What are you consuming in quarantine? So like many people, I watched the Queen's Gambit, which I enjoyed very much. And um, I thought it was very good. And everybody was very good. But I have to say Mariel Heller was just incredible in that show. Um, so I really enjoyed that show. I, I made the mistake. I thought I'm watching The Undoing, but I thought The Undoing was over. So like I finished episode four, which aired this week, thinking I just traipse on over to episode five. And now I have like a regular person have to wait in real time to watch the next, the final two episodes. So uh, I'm digging that. Um, And I'm trying to think, I mean, early in the pandemic, I went back and rewatched all the Sopranos, which I had not watched since it first aired. Like Mm. I think many people did. And how's that holding up? It's incredible. I mean, I think, you know, it has to be the best, like, head-to-toe cast of any show ever. I mean, like, every performance is really, really good, especially the people who are first-time actors. And um, it's just great. Like, and you really do realize how influential it was. Mm. Uh, And so I really enjoyed watching that. Um, And then I... Like, I mean, I already had this problem, but I go down like cooking video rabbit holes. So like I just watch, you know, hundreds of random cooking videos on YouTube like that just consumes and including Chopped, which I don't know how many episodes of Chopped I've won, but oh, I've God. watched. But I can now pinpoint the exact order in which people are going to be eliminated every episode of Chopped. Like it's a completely useless skill that I've cultivated during <laughs> during this period of time. Uh, those have been some of the things I've been. What have you guys been watching? Ooh, Matt, I'm. I am also watching The Undoing. I would say hate watching almost. Uh, I mean, I will consume anything that is of that genre of like women drinking wine uh, yeah. surrounded by wealth. That is for me, um, and it's my favorite Nicole Kidman wig in a very long time. Yeah, it really uh, doing some doing some heavy lifting. It's doing yes. it's doing malice era Nicole Kidman work if you know what I'm talking about. Yes, but, yes. Yeah, it's it's really working hard. But uh, well, I wanted to ask you cuz we're also in sort of a British bake off hole which has led to a lot of has inspired a lot of baking in our house, but what's what's cooking in your house uh, after you're consuming all of these cooking shows, if anything? Yeah, so I, I cook pretty obsessively. I mean, I think like we maybe order in once or twice a week and then beyond, it's kind of crazy to think beyond that, I've basically cooked everything like since March. So it's been uh, very productive. Uh, I, um, I've thankfully kind of been honing a lot of my Indian cooking skills, which I, my mother and my, all the kind of women in my family, my mom's extended family are incredible cooks. And my mom is very, very good. And she's a vegetarian. So a lot, and my husband is vegetarian. So it's actually been worked out quite well to do a lot of those kind of classic dishes that I haven't made kind of on a daily basis in a very long time. Um, and then I do a lot of pasta. I've been doing, you know, I, but it's, it is funny. I mean, I guess because of that sort of tutelage of watching all of these YouTube videos, I have kind of like gleaned all this kind of patchwork sense of how to cook anything. So it's been, you know, and we did a CSA, like like the Brooklyn assholes we are. So we did a, you know, every week we got fresh vegetables from a farm upstate and it would, it's kind of like being on Chopped because you're like, what am I going to do with some salad turnips and a cabbage? You know, like, like all this right. stuff that you didn't necessarily see before so um yeah it's been it's a bit good i put it all on instagram and you know that's i should probably start some sort of cooking blog and get better lighting but that's that's what i've been doing um but I, well i mean now you have a winter project that's that's right that's right um there you go throw some gourds I, and reeds in there yeah love it i have a i have an improvised beyond meat chili in the slow cooker happening oh, oh wait, wow. so, so do, is that we'll the, just see what happens it comes as like ground. It looks like ground uh, beef, basically, and then you looks yeah, it looks like ground yeah. beef. It makes a good burger. Um, and now we're gonna see we're gonna see how it handles a chili. <laughs> it also a lot of the Beyond products. They're good. I, I'm a they're fan. very good. Yeah, they're not bad. They do kind of. I'm realizing when you cook them in a slow cooker, they just kind of create. They take on the shape of the slow cooker, so it might be a meatloaf that I'm making. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see Which what happens. Also sounds delicious. Oh, yeah. Also, should be very a good chill weather, uh, kind of a 
kind of a meal. Um, are, did you, are you a bachelor or bachelorette person? So, okay. I feel like maybe this will get me in trouble. I, I should say. I'm ready for controversy. Yeah, disclaimer. So my best friend from high school was actually a short-lived contestant on a season of The Bachelor. Um, somebody who got got eliminated on like the first, you know, the first episode or something. Will Almost willfully because secondhand from her, it sounded like such a miserable experience. And I don't think any of us has pretensions to think it isn't that. I mean, I, I think it seems like maybe it's not the greatest working environment. Um, mm-hmm. But I have a kind of soapboxy thing where, and I'm sorry, like I'm, I know this makes me sound so magnanimous, kind of like horribly magnanimous in a way, but I, I just feel like that show and keeping up with the Kardashians, I feel like they're why we have this president. I feel yeah. like it comes from its whole cloth from the same thing and it's materialistic and misogynistic. And, um, and I know people have this argument that the women have agency because they signed up for the show. And But I just right. feel like if you look, I remember seeing some special years ago where they showed you how the sausage gets made. It was like about about the making of The Bachelor. And everybody on it was so creepy. And I just thought, this isn't good for anyone. I'm like, why is no. this happening? So it's I tight. understand I might be in a kind of minority opinion there, but I, I don't watch it. So yeah, I'm... Never more than halfway in. But the reason I ask is that the YouTube food uh, obsession of mine at the moment is a, a YouTube show called What I Order. Okay. And it was a guy who was eliminated on season one of The Bachelorette like two years ago, three years ago. He has sent, he was, he was, he's incredibly handsome and very charming and real dumb, like real dumb. <laughs> and, um, and he has become more famous for being a bachelor at contestant than most bachelors or bachelorettes. Um, he's anyway. So, and it's, it's like the internet is trying to, he's been on dancing with the stars. He went on bachelor in paradise a couple of times. It's the world is trying to figure out what to do with this guy. His name's Joe. And he, and he's incredibly, incredibly hot. And he has a web show called what I order where he goes to restaurants and he eats things and it's like, and then one by one he eliminates them. And then he's like, he arrives at what he would order, but he's super inarticulate um, like he knows food kind of, but it'll just like have a bite of a cheeseburger and it'll be like, it's pretty good. And that's, <laughs> and that's as deep as the, the, the commentary take. gets. That's the full take. And, and it's riveting somehow. It's riveting only because he's handsome and right, like kind right. of dumb. Dave, by the way, D- Dave has two celebrity crushes that we hear about yep. all the time. It's Grocer Joe and it's James Vanderbeek, but it's really James True. Vanderbeek's forearms more than him yes. as a as sure. an yes. I mean, person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great. yeah. And I mean, James I mean, Vanderbeek's forearms are my Jennifer Aniston. Yes. Um, Cosine. Yeah. Anyway, it's just it's real dumb, but I, I can't recommend it highly enough. Well, I know another phenomenon I've discovered, which I find completely just confounding, is there's this whole cottage industry of vocal teachers who dissect performances, mainly pop songs or live performances on YouTube, and they're all over the globe. It's kind of like almost like the way that ASMR has its own kind of thing. There's this cottage industry around people who do this kind of dissection of vocal delivery. But it's so vague, it's not really getting into the details of like vocal technique necessarily, or like placement or breathing. It's just more like sort of real-time commentary that really doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm fascinated by it. I could watch hours of it. I'm like, yeah. it's more like I could, I mean, you just, anybody could sit there and react to these songs. It's kind of like live reaction videos you see anywhere else, but they're purportedly yeah. under the guise of this idea of being a vocal teacher. And I just find it fascinating. Yeah. So not the same also, thing, but it's yeah. random. Yeah. I, I'm, I always find the ones where they like, um, where someone will say like, this is every indie song vocal and like break down how they, how the words, how, you know, heart becomes hoyert, you know, and like all that kind of shit, all that kind of feisty shit. Um, that I find very fascinating. We had, uh, Ruman Alaman recently. Oh, and did, he great. said, he said something that a good friend of mine with a nine year old daughter just echoed, which is that when kids play, they start by saying, Hey guys. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Totally. It's just that was how kids are. Didn't yeah, they do totally. that? Wasn't that a thing in eighth grade, the movie, where, where she, like, Bo Burnham oh, yeah. talked about how, like, all, everybody who does those videos begins with two things saying, hey, guys, at the beginning, and then at the end, they always say, I hope this was helpful. Like, there were two, there was a yeah. counterpoint to those two things that you always hear in those videos. Yeah. Um, but that's that's great. You know, I don't know if he, he probably didn't mention this to you, but 
because it's a small publishing world and we both live in New York, I get mistaken for Ramon alum all the time. And I think the same happens oh, right? um, too, because we're both like Indian, we wear glasses and we're bald. So yeah. like we, like peop- it happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. And you're both, we're doing the podcast circuit at the moment. Right. So. That's right. That's right. So yeah, <laughs> you are, I believe back to back. Wow. Okay. Oh, there you go. So there it is. You cannot escape one another. We're the, so, he's the Roxy to my Belmar the other way around, something like I love that. It. Yeah. <laughs> Who are your James Vanderbeek uh, forearms? Yes. Yeah. Who's your. I, well, my number one for a very long time has been Lee Pace. I'm sure I'm not alone in oh. saying this. Um, that it does not, I'm, I'm, I don't think my husband takes umbrage with this because my husband is also tall and dark haired and, um, you know, hopefully that's fine. Um, I'll, it was kind of funny to go see the Angels revival when he like stripped out naked in front of both of us. Um, so uh, he's still number one, I think. Um, I will go with a longtime favorite, which I think many people will echo, who sometimes falls off people's radar is Scott Speedman. That is also oh, um, an all-timer. Perennial favorite. Um, I have to say that People Magazine cover was absolutely right, because Michael B. Jordan is definitely up there. Um, yes. And um, I'm trying to think, like, who, like it's funny, because I just feel like there's, I mean, for a long time there, because I was a lost person with Josh Holloway, like a lot of people like Josh Holloway, so that was, mm-hmm. that was really up there. Um, and I'm trying to think who, I, I feel like there's so many, it's like, a, it's like a, you know, one of those film strips you'd make out of a shoebox and pencils in elementary school that just rotates and you can't even remember what's happening anymore. Sure. Um, but those are some choice ones. Um, I How guess about I some use- foundational some foundational, foundational. crushes. Okay, yeah, well, who's this, the first to make you go, wait a minute? Hold okay, on. well, the first crush I ever had ever when I was four was Ralph Macchio on The Crowdy Kid. That was like, that was Great. number one, most, the thing I remember first. Um, and then what is it? How am I forgetting his name? Who was the longtime general hospital actor who was on Out of This World? Why am I forgetting his name? You know who I'm oh, talking about. Steve Burton. Um, Steve Burton. Steve Burton. Steve Burton. Yes, when I was growing up, that was that was like again like soap opery. Like I think I first discovered him out out of this world that that sitcom. Um, so that was foundational. Um, Take oh, I'm sorry. Out of this world was that a Mork and Mindy spinoff? What, uh, no, remember it was a, it was an '80s sitcom um, where it was the girl was from was from outer space. Was it this where she put put her fingers together? Okay. Yeah. That weird colored, uh, colored up triangle that would like light up whenever she's speaking to her alien family or whatever is happening. Uh, Her name was Evie. I remember the main character's name is Evie. And he, he might, his name on the show might've been Steve too. I can't remember. Um, But that was definitely up there for me. Um, I'm trying. I feel like you wrote about this in your book, didn't you? Have some foundational people that you oh, like. I mean, I've, I've, where get comfy. Where do we even? Start? <laughs> um, I think, I think you know, we, this came up recently, and I think the first that I recognized as like a sexual crush was probably Corey Hart. Oh, that's maybe a, great- a little before your time, but oh, yeah, yeah, but a, yeah, but a solid yeah. one. Who, yeah. by the way, I just realized uh, or just learned um, turned down the opportunity, uh, like Steven Spielberg contacted him directly and asked him to test for Marty McFly. And he said, no. Get out. What? Yeah. Because it was Eric Stoltz then. Remember, they originally cast yes. Eric Stoltz. And then yeah. they had yeah. they cast uh, Michael J. Fox instead. Yeah. That's Why did he turn it? He just didn't want to be famous. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. A fear of success. I have no idea. It would have been a sexy Marty McFly. It would have been a very yeah, different was, cinematic well, experience. We would have really had to pull it back as he'd be entering Biff territory. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also, by the way, not popular opinion, but Biff is hot in that movie too. So, he is a little bit. Yeah. And, so he, and he's he's uh, and he's grown up well. He's 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 aged. He's aged quite well. Yeah, he was on something recently, right? Was he? On, like, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I forget what it was. Did but. stand up for a long yeah. time. Seems nice. Yeah. Good. Anyway. Yeah. In your relationship, in your marriage, are when are you are you? How, are you able to drop the, the sort of veil of illusion and have conversations like these? Like when you're seeing Ali Pace fully naked, are you and your husband both acknowledging like, yep, we were into that? Or do you, I, I, I sort of force my boyfriend to like 
keep up the facade that we're not attracted to other people unless I'm not, unless he's not in the room. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, we've kind of just up front about it. I mean, I don't think like there, none of us is like, oh, we're going to run, I'm going to run away with Lee Pace tomorrow. Like, I don't think that's like, you know, a worry we have. Um, I, but no, I mean, I think, I don't know, because we've been together eight years now. So I think you're just sort of like, yeah, there are attractive people in the world. It doesn't mean like you're running off or exploring a throuple with them. It's just like, you know, there are very attractive people in the world. Um, so I think, you know, it, it is, uh, I have to think about like it, looking back, you know, because like in real life, like I'm attracted, you know, I've always been attracted to people who are, you know, physically attractive, but who are kind of cerebral and very smart. And I think that probably, there's probably some carry through in terms of like the celebrity crushes I have, like how people, if they present as intellectual. I mean, like for example, like obviously Ryan Gosling was very handsome, but Ryan Gosling also, also seems quite intelligent. And I think that makes him more attractive. Like, so I think um, that's something that we probably touch upon, but yeah, I mean, I think um, we're pretty upfront about, we don't really worry about that, I don't think. Um, but I, don't, I also understand why the facade makes sense. Cause it's sort of like, you know, somebody crushes the fantasy in and of itself. So why not just have the walls around that because it's fantasy anyway. So, yeah, we talk about it all the time because our types are so are so specific and so different. So during the election season, uh, Ben, my partner, was like wild over John King on CNN. Oh, yeah. OK. Oh, yeah. 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 Like that. And that's that could not be more his type because you were uh, wild about Steve Kornacki. Well, you know, I have a, I have a, I, I do want to feed him soup. I do want to rub his shoulders. But this is the um, thing. Sure. You know, I saw this whole thing because there was how they named him. You know, he was in the People's Sexiest Man Alive yeah. thing. And I saw a lot of people tweeting being like, okay, get like, now we've gone overboard. I'm like, I'm sorry. He is cute. Like, what are you talking about? Like, like, yeah. I, I, feel like I feel like I'm in some other world and people are like, how is this possible? I'm like, he's obviously cute. Like, he's not like, he's not a matinee idol, but like, like, no. You would meet that person and be like, that guy is totally handsome. Like, what's Yeah, the and he's he's so nerdy and so into what he does that that becomes exciting, you know? Yeah, and then people but are no, just, that's an oddity. Yeah. Like, people, nerdy yeah. people are cute. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's the way of the world. He's no Jacob Soberoff. Oh, yeah, agree. And he's no Ari Melber. He is no Ari <laughs> Melber. I mean, and like, no. Ari, we know that you like hip-hop music. We got it. Got it. <laughs> Loud and clear, Ari Melber. Got it. You don't have to work it into every conversation. He is, he's something else. Didn't he just do a Nick and Nicky quote on something? It was like he had to work that into the. Oh, absolutely. Every single episode of his show. I can't, by the way, wait to not know who's on the news. I just want to turn it off. I I like a month. I mean, it is crazy. Like I feel even in reading some of the reviews about the, of the new Obama book, it's like they mentioned people in the administration and you're like, Oh my God, I'd like, I knew that person was in that role, but I didn't have to think about it on a daily basis to be like, who's yeah. doing this job yeah. now? I didn't it's know what they looked like. Now I have hair. a weird diagram in my mind, but like, you know, subsets of like who's in every deputy role in every branch of government because we're just dismantling everything on a daily basis. Yeah. So, yeah. Jesus Christ. It's too much. Um, what was your like first favorite? Like, what was the first show that you remember being like, this is for me? I am this person. I, well, I love, okay, so when would it have come out? I was a big Family Matters person. I loved that uh, show. Came out. And I feel like, when did that show come out? Like 1989 or something? Like, yeah, like 89, 90, somewhere yeah, around there. It would have been like nine or 10 at that point. So, I mean, but well, to be honest, a lot of it was like the Disney afternoon. Like I watched the Gummy Bears and like DuckTales, which I loved, the you know, the original DuckTales. And because the original lineup, I think it was Gummy Bears, DuckTales, Tailspin and Chippendales Rescue Rangers. I think that was the. That sounds right. And so I loved those shows, um, and I loved all of his total Disney dork. Like I, I subscribed to Disney Adventures magazine, like in my childhood bedroom, beginning with Little Mermaid. Like I had all the posters in a row. So it was like Little Mermaid, you know, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King. Pocahontas, like they all really went around my room. So uh, then I had all the Burger King toys and the, you know, the signature plates and all that stupid shit they'd sell you. So I, so I was definitely in that rabbit hole. Um, I think, uh, I, I mean, I did like then when it's the 90s, like everybody else, I watched Seinfeld all the time. Sure. Um, and so, but yeah, early, sh- I mean, I definitely, um, and I, I definitely watched some of the Golden Girls when I was like young. Like that was, I, I didn't, 
I didn't have a coherent enough like watching experience to follow it episode to episode, but I definitely watched it and thought like, what is this? No, so I definitely liked Murder She Wrote. That was definitely a um, an early one too, where I was just like, and I, because I think like many people, like I loved Sherlock Holmes, I loved kind of early mysteries, I loved the Boxcar Children. Those books, like I loved reading like Ooh, like yeah. mysteries, and then like the greatest book ever, The Western Game, was like my favorite book when I was a kid. So I think that tr- translated over to Murder She Wrote, where it's like, here's a crime show with this like fabulous woman who's like solving crimes and so yeah that was those were a lot of them this fabulous unthreatening woman like yeah. this eccentric yeah. aunt yeah it was like a town full of secrets that's right um, well i took you know in like very rural ohio so i needed some mystery in my life yeah it's not too much mysterious there um cincinnati correct yeah yeah i grew i grew yeah. up in a town of about yeah 20 30 minutes outside cincinnati I, uh, Pike County, does that mean anything to you? Uh, uh Waverly. Yeah. Yes, uh, Waverly. That's yeah, where Waverly. I grew up. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Yeah. I was in Butler County. So I, I love to tell people this. I grew up in a town called Fairfield, which people always go Fairfield, Connecticut. I'm like, no, it's definitely not Fairfield, Connecticut. It was very different, but the town next to it was called Hamilton. And for a while, Hamilton, Ohio was the only city in America that had um, petition to have an exclamation point legally appended to the end of its name. So when you would write it out, it would be Hamilton. Oh, because it would be Ohio, you know, and and so they were clearly trying to impart to it some excitement that hadn't been there when it just had a comma after it. Um, wow. So that was a cool thing. And it's still a kind of well-known town in that area. But yeah, that was my mom taught in that. My mom was an elementary school teacher and she taught in Hamilton. So and is your family wow. still there? My parents still live in Fairfield, Ohio. Um, I have two brothers. I have uh, um, a fraternal twin brother who actually lives here in New York now. Um, and then I have an, a four-year older brother who lives in LA who's a stand-up comic. So um, the, yeah, the, we're kind of spread out now. And it's been, it's been tough, obviously, because of the pandemic, because we would have, in theory, gone home for Thanksgiving and done all of that. But we have not, I've not seen my parents in quite some time now because of just trying to keep them safe and trying to make sure we're not, you know traveling unnecessarily but yeah they're still there how are your folks with you not coming home around the holidays i think they understand i mean i think they like they um it's been so tough with covid like they've had to go on doctor's visits for just general things too but they're trying to stay safe and socially distance and you know wear masks and but they're also in a part where a lot of people don't you know it's it's tough because they're in a they're i don't know if it's half and half but there's plenty of people who are not you know under lockdown who are not taking it seriously enough so i think um you know they they get it i think they want to my my older brother actually did a kind of very noble thing which is that he in the summer he flew first class stayed in a hotel went in the backyard and socially distanced to see them and just kind of took that upon himself to do it and and you know i didn't again feel as comfortable just because i am worried about traveling and flying and everything but they get it i think they just they want us to be safe and healthy and i think we're just going to try to aim for like when it is actually deemed generally safe to travel then figure out a time when we all see each other but um yeah. Have you, have either of you flown? Like, have you flown during any? No, we are, we might, uh, in December just uh, not to visit family, but just to, um, go to Hawaii and which feels insane, but we at least will only be endangering each other basically. Right. right. Uh, but, uh, but also we've canceled it three times already and I'm sure we will yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, I am, um, supposed to be going for a media weekend at a, a lodge in Big Sky, Montana to launch uh, a Reposado brand. Oh my God. And, and, and a clothing brand, which I won't name, that is relaunching itself um, for a weekend hosted by Guy Fieri and Sammy Hagar. Oh my uh, the God. The first weekend in December, which I got that offer a while back and I was like, yes, I'm going. Is this Sammy now, Hagar's tequila company? Because he, re- he runs a uh, tequila It's company. Guy Fieri's tequila company. Oh, it's, oh wow. Okay. okay. Sammy sold his for like $11 billion or something yeah. and now has Beach Bum Rum, but I don't think- Oh, right. Yes. Um, right. So yes. this is like the weirdest, dumbest event I can imagine. And I was like, I can't wait. But it's the first weekend in December and I can't picture it happening. I, I mean, then um, you were supposed to fly there. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's I'm not going to be in an airport right now. That's ridiculous. I mean, maybe copious amounts of reposado will kill whatever you pick up. Maybe, on the way, uh, over. maybe. 
Um, yeah, no, I think I think uh, Guy and Sammy are invulnerable. You know, yeah, I they, they have <laughs> yeah, I think their body has built up a, a, a you know a resistance to literally everything. But I, yeah, I can't because I, I'm not I'm not going home for Christmas, and I can't justify not going home for Christmas, yeah. but going to see. Sammy yeah, Hagar. Right. right. You're like, I'm sorry. I'm going to prioritize Sammy Hagar. Ca- over yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Although Sammy Hagar is not, as far as we know, an elderly woman. So I don't think I need to worry as much, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's what's in my head. That would be my first flight probably since February. You're just they, they, like right now, just play a plays as you land in the plane, like on the tarmac. And it just, oh. you know, <laughs> See now, now I do want to go. Now I do want to go. Um, family matters. Were you were you in on on um, Urkel taking over the entire show? Was that jarring to you as a child? It was. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely felt a little betrayed when the Stefan Urkel thing happened because I was like, this is no. not fair. Because not like, fair. not all of us get this fantasy world in which now we're the you know Lothario who is the uh, kind of foil to the nerdy type. Uh, yeah. So yes, that was definitely that took a turn. I mean, I think I was I just loved Telma Hopkins, Hopkins like many people. So I really loved mm-hmm. everything involving her on that show. Um, but you know that was a whole that was whole era too because I, that original line of the TGIF I think was Full House, yep. um, Full Family Matter, Full House Family Matters, Perfect Strangers, and Step, step by, by Step. step. Yeah. Um, which I think a random show called Going Places may have predated Step by Step, but maybe I'm wrong. But um, but yeah, th- that whole block of shows I watched pretty religiously because what are you, like when you're a kid on Friday nights, what are you doing? Which I think was the whole point. Um, but I, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. I, I really, there was something about that family I really liked. And then I just... I, it was in Chicago and like that's Midwest. So I like figured, cause you know, it was a rarity, relative rarity to have things set in the Midwest. Cause usually they were set in New York or LA. And then there was obviously WKRP, which was set in Cincinnati, but like there weren't, and then Drew Carey was set in Cleveland, I think. But like, there wasn't that much you had in the Midwest where you could really, actually now I'm wrong because I guess Laverne and Shirley was set in Milwaukee. So maybe I'm just. Was Milwaukee. But, Happy yeah. days was Milwaukee. Yeah. Right. right. I guess I'm just wrong. But, liar, okay. <laughs> I'm liar, I'm liar. I guess everything was set in the Midwest. Anyway, <laughs> how did you and your husband meet? So this is a funny story. So I, um, I had worked in New York for 10 years in uh, publishing. And then I did that thing that a lot of us wonder about where I wondered, you know, what if I did something else? And what if I lived somewhere else? And so I, I, after 10 years of being in New York, I moved to San Francisco for a job and I had moved there in March of 2012. And it's funny because I had you know, been single my entire time living in New York and all of my friends kept saying, you were obviously going to meet your boyfriend when you moved to San Francisco, it's going to happen. And I kept saying, that's absolutely not going to happen because why would any, there's all this evidence to the contrary that that would happen. So um, in July of that year, I remember it was, a, it was Friday, July 13th. And I was walking, um, I was walking through the Castro to go to Soma because there was a now defunct um, bar in Soma called Truck, which was a great place. And sadly, they're not there anymore. And I always have to explain to people who know better that we met on a Friday because Truck was known, I think, for its Tuesday nights that were like a sex night. So, like, I have to like clarify that that was not the right. reason I was in the on a Friday. Um, so I remember walking, I was walking along, I think 18th street in the Castro and it was a very lovely evening. The wind was through the trees. It was a beautiful evening. And it just had this kind of like, you know, Tony and West side story, something's coming kind of feel to it. So I, um, went to meet up with a few friends at that bar. And the funny thing is, so that bar had a mirrored wall and my friend Mark actually took a picture of me leaning against that wall, uh, that evening. And the funny thing is, I still have that picture and I post it every year because if you look very carefully in the background of that picture, you can see my husband leading, like, like hunching over the bar, having a drink by himself. But this is before we met each other. So, um, so then I went up to the bar to get a drink and he was sitting there and he was very handsome. And I, I just turned to him, I guess in kind of Miranda Priestly fashion, and just went, um, who are you? And that's how we met. So um, we've been together ever since. And, uh, and the, uh, the funny thing was, so when I, when I lived in San Francisco, I was working in branding. I wasn't working in publishing, but ironically, he was working at book publishing at a book publisher based in San Francisco. So it actually worked out quite well where I wanted to come back to New York because I just kind of missed my circle of friends here. And you know, I love San Francisco, but I just missed New York. And he thankfully wanted to work in book publishing here. So it just happened where 
we then, you know, a year and a half, two years later, moved back together and did this kind of hopscotch thing where he worked in his publishing company's New Jersey office. And I worked in an office in Chelsea. And then I went back into book publishing and he became a literary agent. And now we both work in publishing. So it was just like a weird thing over time, how it just sort of settled into what we eventually did professionally. But yeah, it was a charm story. So my friends were right. I ended up meeting him when I moved out there. I love that. What did you do on your first date? We, well, that was the first day, but um, <laughs> the, the, the first proper date after that, we went to, um, I think, I hope it's still there. It's a um, restaurant called, I think it's called Schmitz, which is a German themed restaurant in Selma as well. It's very cute. It, I think it had recently opened when we, when we went there and we just kind of had, you know, a nice dinner and it was just great. I mean, it was really, I've gotten in trouble sometimes for saying this, but I really do believe it, which is a lesson I had to learn, which is that you know, people just romanticize struggle so much when they're dating. Like it's really, a, it's a cultural thing. People, it's supposed to be about the chase and it's supposed to be about just the drama of it and the back and forth and the, you know, being on tenterhooks and all these things, which that last part is kind of true. But the thing that I kind of learned from it is if you meet the right person, it's not hard in terms of figuring out whether or not you're going to see each other again. Like that's the, the so much of the um, conflict of dating is like, is he going to text back? Is he going to call me? Are we going to go again? What's going on next? And in my experience, when I met the right person, I was like, well, we really enjoy spending time together. So we're, we're going to see each other again and we will go on another date. And, you know, and, and things did move pretty quickly, but I think it's because we are like, oh, well, this is how it's supposed to feel. Like you're supposed to meet somebody that you really want to spend time with. And it's not really a question as to whether or not you're going to want to see each other again. There may be other, there there are plenty of logistical things that come into play and there are things involving jobs and where you want to live. And, you know, all these things are completely legitimate concerns. But I think that fundamental thing of, do we want to be spending time together and seeing each other again or not is very, very important. And that was a lesson that really gave the lie to the previous 10 years where I just was like, you know, going after the wrong people or dating the wrong people or just thinking it was supposed to be completely different from the way it ended up being. Yeah. What, how did marriage enter the conversation? We eloped after the 2016 election. Um, we were, we were pretty certain very early on that we would get married, but we, um, yeah, it was after that election. We just kind of, we were sitting on the couch one day and we kind of looked at each other and we were like, why we should just do this now. And what it was, it was really beautiful. I mean, the one thing is we did elope. So I know a few friends said this to me beyond the just kind of like, oh, we wish you'd had a wedding so we could have been there and, and celebrated. But, you know, one thing that I do, well, we were trying to kind of implicitly do by eloping and then announcing it. I do miss the fact that we didn't have a kind of proper wedding, especially for the Indian community that I grew up to be like, here's the visibility of like my marrying somebody and we're two men getting married and it's legitimate and it's real and it's, you know, it's I'm the same person you knew when I was growing up and this is where I am now. So I do miss the fact that that didn't happen, but it did happen sort of virtually because, so we decided to get married. Um, we got married on December 28th of that year. And it, it fell in such a way where we got married on that Wednesday. Um, I think it was, was it the Wednesday. I think it was a Wednesday. And um, so my, my fraternal twin brother who lives here was our witness. So he was the only other person who knew. Um, and the photographer would be like uh, hired to take photos afterwards. Um, so his gift to us, which was very kind, he bought us bespoke suits. So we went to get suits made for our, um, our wedding. Nice. And then we went down, yeah, that we, it was great. And then we went down to City Hall and it was, I mean, I don't know if you've been there before during that, but there's so many people there. Like it really is a lot of people get married at city hall. And so I think we waited for like three hours to get, to get wow. actually, we went to get our marriage license you know, two weeks before. And then we went for the ceremony and, um, you know, we got married by this fabulous woman named Edwina, who was wearing a wonderful hat. And, um, and then we, uh, we had a late brunch with my brother at Augustine, which is the restaurant in the uh, Beekman Hotel downtown. And then we did, um, so since it was like between Christmas and New Year's, it was that kind of fallow period. We stayed for two nights at the hotel and we kind of went around Manhattan. We live in Brooklyn. So we kind of did all these Manhattan things that are very quintessentially New York that we hadn't done in a long time. So we went, you know, to the Bemelman's bar and we went to, you know, uh, to um, Orsay and we went to the Guggenheim and we went, you know, all around town. And it was kind of great because it was like the secret that we had that nobody else knew about. Like we were just kind of, we knew we were married. Nobody else really knew. And of course we'd get tipsy enough and be like, let it slip to the bartender that we got married and we get free champagne. So that was a nice kind of mm -hmm. uh, bonus to doing that. But so, so we were, then we, you know, we're at home, we were after two nights in the hotel, we came home for the weekend basically. And so we told our, our, 
families that Sunday, which I think was New Year's, and then I, we told our friends on that Monday. So it was really an amazing um, experience, again, to have that kind of secret between the two of us being like, we really did this. Like, we did it for a, a reason that's not just us, but really just so we could tell other people and make them see, you know, how we're feeling, why we feel this way, why we want to be married. And it was great to see people's reaction afterward once we told them, like, the kind of idea of, like, this is what people needed right now. And thank God, like, you know, there's some outward side of love in this way that we were hoping for. Um, so it was definitely not what we had originally envisioned, but I think it was the right thing to do. That's beautiful. It was pretty nice. <laughs> When you say in those 10 years that you were dating the wrong guy and, and, and what did that look like? What was, what was the, the, the pattern for you and were you dating online or what was going on? Yeah. I mean, I guess it was part of it was online. I mean, to be honest, like early on in my New York experience, I was sort of dating me on and off. It was not quite right, but I'd known him for a long time and that was kind of its own thing. But I think, um, it, uh, well, to, there's the blunt thing of it, which is like, it is difficult being a person of color dating in New York. It's not like being a gay guy dating in New York. I'm not like, you know, I'm not buff. I'm not like, you know, I'm like just kind of dorky and, you know, I'm sort of bookish and I'm very gregarious, but like it was, um, but I think a lot of it too, to, like, to be honest on my own end is it's, I think I really fell into the performative nature of it. Like I'm a performer by nature anyway, but it's like, I think you really fall into this thing of like, there are certain things you're supposed to do or certain, certain you know, that again, the romanticizing that struggle or going after the wrong people, like people that you just know aren't really returning your affection, but you get into this loop of thinking they should, or like just letting up, you know, physical attraction lead everything. Or I, I, I think it's probably a commonplace for a lot of people, but I do think I definitely found it. I did not find online dating particularly easy because so much of it for me really is in being in person and the, I don't know, that kind of like impromptu connection of meeting somebody in person, especially if it's like through, like if you meet somebody just randomly, I mean, in a way, it's not a mistake that I met my husband. We didn't have any friends in common. You know what I mean? Like we didn't, there was no point of reference there. It was just kind of like we met each other in kind of like out in the wild in certain circumstances, got to know each other in that way. But I do think for a certain type of person, it can be really difficult to just be, to online date. And I think it's also too, when, when you, when you are kind of, bookish and you really like I'm a writer and stuff like that you almost get too much in your head about like what are you messaging and why are you writing this and what's the pretext here and like like what is it crafted properly and like just things that like that's not going to be what decides like you know the day-to-day nature of your long-term relationship if you want one so I think that was it was a combination of those factors I think dating in the age of the text that's right to just be I I can't Honestly, like, I mean, we've been together since 2012 and eight years. It's very different. Like, I, I, I am confounded sometimes when I hear about just like what it's like. And just the fact that it just seems like people are really rude a lot of the time. It just feels like there's so much, there's so many excuses people can give for why they don't communicate properly. And yeah. that would drive me crazy because like, I like so much of a communication is about being accountable, just not, not, and that sounds so like clinical, but it's like just being like being in touch with people and being proper about how you're communicating with them. And I feel like that doesn't happen too often. You uh, said you were a uh, performer by nature. Were you a theater kid? I was definitely a theater kid. Yes. Let's, let's talk about the roles. <laughs> okay. Yes. Let's break them down. So I, um, so I did, so I, because I was such a theater person, I did kind of two theater things. I did my regular school theater thing. And then yeah. every summer I did a very large, um, youth theater that basically was composed of all the different school districts, districts in like what a 60 mile radius or something. And actually the, the place where we rehearsed and where we performed is in Middletown, Ohio, which is the setting of Hillbillyology. Um, so, oh boy. Yeah. So, uh, so I did, um, so my high school stuff. So I, um, some, yeah. So freshman year, I was I got typecast basically because I was the fakir in the Secret Garden, which is one of my favorite shows. But if you're an Indian person auditioning for the Secret Garden, chances are you're getting that role and not Dr. Craven, which is the role I actually wanted. So um, that was a freshman year. Then the summer after freshman year is the first time I did um, that youth theater, and I was the French brother in uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. So that Ooh. was um, that was that role, and then. Uh, so I, I think that was a, yeah, sophomore year, I was, uh, 
surprisingly cast as the lead in Brigadoon. I played the uh, Tommy, the Gene Kelly role in Brigadoon. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and that was opposite my friend who was on The Bachelor. She played the Fiona character. Um, and then uh, then the summer after that, I played, was that the, I hope I'm getting this right. Summer after that is when I played Captain Hook and Peter Pan. So oh, that was at the youth theater again. So that was, and we had the whole, one of my best friends played Peter Pan and the whole flying thing. was like the, the, the company's called Flying by Foy. Apparently that's like the leading, you know, flying company that gets people to do Peter Pan across the country. So, uh, so that was then that. And then the next year, um, I think I was Prince Chulalongkorn in The King and I um, in high school. And then I was the... Yeah, then I was the Teen Angel in Greece. I played um, both Vince Fontaine and the Teen Angel in Greece. That was again the theater, the the district wide youth theater. Then senior year, because I'm a diva, I forwent the High School Musical because I didn't get cast as Henry Higgins. I'm a terrible. Oh, you stormed off. Yes, I stormed off. I'm just they posted that cast list and you stormed off. There's an essay waiting me in me somewhere about how being closeted was the thing that prevented me from enjoying my art fully when I was in high school. Um, And then, uh, and then the last, the summer after I graduated from high school, that summer theater, I was the Devil and Damian Yankees. So, so these are huge. That was high school. Then college, I did like I was in an acapella group in college. I was also in the Triangle Club, which is this like you know theater troupe at Princeton. But I, but I, the shows I did there, I, I'm trying to remember. I, um, well, the big one was my senior year in college. I was uh, Molina and Kiss the Spider Woman, which I think was like the role I was born to play because it's like you know it's, it sits very well in my range. Like he's a total queen. Like it just like it was a very. Um, and, and the woman who played the spider woman is this lovely actor named Devin Seidel, who's now a professional actress, who's incredibly talented. Um, so, uh, yeah, so those were the kind of main, but the, the scary thing is it really breaks my heart. I have not acted in the show since, oh, and then I was in Chicago. I played Amos in Chicago. Um, but I, but I haven't been in a show since, uh, college. Like I haven't acted in anything. There, there should be grown up spring musicals. I think so. I mean, I do. I did. Too, I, I mean, I still do it. But I, for many years, I sang a cabaret show in New York, so that was kind of like the you know yeah. version of that. But yeah, there should be. I mean, I what was that show where they reunited people from their High School Musicals? Encore. Yeah, okay. Encore. Right. So there needs to be that for just like regular people, like like yes. like people who like aren't just going to their High School Musicals, but like yeah, yeah. When such a thing existed, I was I was like in the improv scene in L.A. And my idea that nobody liked but me was like, let's do a fucking spring musical every year. Yeah. You know I mean, what I mean? Like, let's, let's just do it. So many like, people are so good at that. Like, I mean, there's so many people who come from the theater who do that work. So yeah. 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 And it can be a little janky if you want it to be. It's a spring sure. musical. The jankier, the better. Yeah. I've often, I've often thought we should do that in book publishing. I'm sure there are enough people who are theater people in book publishing where we should do like a spring musical in the industry where we all like. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'll oh. be the Michael Douglas chorus line character sitting in the back and smoking or whatever it is, like while everything happens. But yeah. Oh, yeah. this, this, this has that when, when the world comes back to normal, we need to make this happen. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm directly under a flight plan, but that is something that I have learned <laughs> in the time of Zoom. Um, so there'll yeah, be we, we at the cast party. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, see, cast parties <laughs> could be so much better now. I, mean, I know. I know. Oh, yeah. Rakesh, thank you so much for doing this. Truly thank you for a pleasure. Me. What a delight. You are a dream. You're a dream thank coach. You so much. I, this is so much fun, and I uh, really appreciate, appreciate both of you having me on. And um, stay safe, please. And, um, and, and you know what? If, if, the rep, if you won't go to the Reposado, have the Reposado come to you. You should have them send you a case, and then you well, can I'm just order from where you are. I'm on that. I'm on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rakesh, thank you. And I, when, when the world is normal, we will see you in person. That sounds great. Well, Matt, we've come to the end of another episode. Dave, 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 Dave. Thank you for being here with me, giving thank me you, a Matt. reason to live. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for reviewing us on Apple Podcasts with five stars only, of course. Thank you to Renee Colvert with a T. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our producer, thank you to Ryan Connor, our engineer. Thank you to everybody at Earwolf. Uh-huh. Thank um, you, Ben Wise, for the music. Yes. And thank you, listener, for listening. Uh, tell a friend. Leave a review. We love you. Yeah.